Hello, I am David Klajman from Fidelis. In partnership with IFA, the European Fundraising Association, welcome to the European Fundraising Podcast, a show where we discuss with some of our best European fundraisers how non-profit organizations can build long-term and deeper relationships with their donors. I receive today Laure Viennot, who is a French fundraising consultant specialized in international philanthropy. She learned to fundraise in the US, working for a French cultural organization. And then she moved back to France, where she helped organizations from all around the world to fundraise abroad from their own country. If you are thinking about fundraising abroad, she knows exactly what question to ask yourself, what your first steps should be, how to prepare yourself, etc. Thinking internationally, mixing cultures, putting in place strategies and techniques. It's all we like in this podcast, so don't miss this episode with Love Yeno. Let's listen to her right now. Welcome everyone. Today I am welcoming Love Yeno, who is French. She is a consultant. Uh, she founded LVT Consulting and she is specialized in international giving. Hello, Laure. Hi. Uh, so, Laure, you have worked in several countries. Uh, you therefore have a very international mind. Uh, we are going to speak about what you do today, uh, which is mainly uh, helping NGO to set up and fundraise internationally. You have done this for many years for one organization, and now you do it for, for many others. So if you are uh, an NGO waiting to fundraise, from wanting to fundraise in another country, uh, what to, do you start with? How to know what country to choose? How to adapt your message to this country? What fundraising can you expect, etc.? A lot of interesting questions that we will uh, talk about together. But, Laure, before we dive into those topics, could you tell us a bit more about yourself, please? Sure. Um, so, first, thank you for having me. Um, as you said, I've, um, I've lived and worked in several countries, um, mostly. Um, so, I was actually trained as, a, as an engineer. So, my first path of my, the first part of my career was uh, working with Nokia, so telecom business, oh, yeah. um, you know, large industry uh, for five years in France. And then I moved to uh, Chicago in the US um, and worked and lived there for six years. And then eventually um, I kind of have this, um, you know, this kind of thinking or feeling that this was really not a passion of mine. And I wanted to dedicate my time to something that was more meaningful. <clears throat> and um, I went back to school. Um, I did a um, a master in performing arts administration in New York. So I moved to New York at that point. And um, at the end of the master, actually during the end of the master, I started my uh, my next uh, half of career, which is that I uh, became the director of the American Front of Paris Opera and Ballet. Um, I ran the organization for six years. Um, and this, you know, we'll, we'll get back to it afterwards. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have plenty of questions about yeah, this. So, period so we'll of, get back to uh, this. York, yeah. Um, and I came back to France four years ago. Uh, when I came back to France, I had a, um, I had a phase of, um, adapting or comparing, I would say, the American market to the French market because philanthropy is not, it's definitely not the same in the US and France. So. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. You started philanthropy in the States. So you didn't uh, know about the, the European and French philanthropy before you no, came here. My, no, my, uh, my, really my first, uh, 
my first experience of philanthropy, um, fundraising, um, anything that has to do with non-for-profit really was in the U.S. So yeah. I learned, I learned the job there. Um, and I learned the, um, the prospect of the donor's behavior there. Um, and it was quite interesting to see the difference of culture when I came back to France. Uh, so I met with a lot of, uh, foundations, um, to get a feeling of how, how did they, um, deal with their donors? How did they talk them? Um, and I started uh, working with uh, Fondation de France uh, to advise them for a whole year um, about their um, expansion abroad in general. They were they were mainly a French uh, foundation uh, in in working in France and with French donors, and were thinking about how to best expand, uh, how to best best reach um, funds in other area of the of the world. Really, um, and we spent one year there, um, first looking at which market would make sense, um, what was going to be the approach in each of the markets, uh, in, in which timing. Okay, well, just first, uh, uh, let me go back just a, a few uh, minutes on what you said, but uh, what, what did you study in, in New York and on, in the, uh, after Nokia? So you, you decided that uh, your life was more, well, you wanted to work more in arts or... Arts uh, and culture arts initially and culture. Was, the, was the calling. <laughs> what, what did you study, just to explain to us... Uh, so what it's it was. Um, it was a master at NYU called Performing Arts Administration. Yeah. Um, so it's a two years program. Um, it, most of the people actually in this program were former artists yeah. uh, looking into um, getting on the other other side of the um, running the business instead of just being the artist. Um, okay. And so it, it was a lot of actually administrative things uh, so you know some accountabilities and project running how to run project how to run people um, which is a lot of things I actually usually you know I used to do before in the industry but it was really interesting to have the um, the legal side of it um, and um, looking at uh, how to um, uh, how to involve a board this is some of the things we discussed further but I already you know we started uh, learning I would say here um, but for me, most of the, the actually the most important thing of that master was the um, the work with the artist and yeah. and creating this this network. Um, I, I came from a very formal and square, I want to say, kind of background. Working with those artists was a crazy. Um, uh, I was going to say crazy mind. That's not a thing. Crazy creativity, really. It was fascinating, and for me, it was um, really. The point where it made sense that we could, I could bring some structure to a, uh, to a domain that was much more, um, creative, but you know, sometimes you just need to, to focus things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have I mean, in, in, in the study, you were the engineer, you were the, the woman who was, uh, like a square. Just gonna do, and, things. Uh, do things. <laughs> yeah. And you were surrounded by people who were more artistic and creative and maybe, you yeah. did some, someone, someone like you. And it sort of made sense. So yeah. that's why I figured, okay, I can actually bring something to this field. Um, and definitely uh, kind of, um, I was sure that was a right choice, I was going to say. Yeah, okay. Um, but but you, are you an artist yourself? Or you no, no, yourself? no, no. I'm yeah. definitely not an artist. I love to, um, to attend to performance. You do not want to see me on a stage. <laughs> Okay, okay. Um, okay, okay. So, and, and so, uh, and then you, about the Fondation de France, so you, you came back and you worked for them. I, I did an episode with, uh, Frédéric Terret, hein, who's, uh, uh, the boss of the fundraising part of the Fondation de France, which is a, 
uh, you can listen to the episode. It's a, an episode I did a, a few months ago, uh, explaining uh, the Transnational Giving Europe um, program, which helps uh, NGO to uh, fundraise in, in other countries. So, uh, uh, so you work for for them. You did the study. Could you explain a bit more in detail what this study was? So Frédéric Etheré is a very nice person. He's a very good person. Yes. And I worked, uh, I I worked actually directly, <laughs> directly with him. Um, the idea there was, again, was just to think at how could they fundraise um, internationally. Um, I was not tasked at looking at how to develop their program internationally. It was really just the, uh, the fundraising. Um, Fondation de France is a very... A large house, um, with a lot of programs, which is both a good thing and a difficult thing to deal with. Um, so some of the thinking was, um, you know, if we were in business, we would talk about what portfolio they should present in each country. So how do you, um, how do you present your organization? What is the message depending on, on, on each country? Cause that can be very different. So we basically uh, started by um, doing a feasibility study and looking at, um, in which area of the, of the globe, does it make sense? Where would you know we have a, a good opportunity? Um, ended up with looking at um, Europe, where we already, already had the transnational giving, um, Asia and um, North America, um, and then for each of those three areas, um, getting more into practical details. Um, what are we going to need to set up? What is the 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 infrastructure to be put in place, how many people is it going to need, um, and, and what is going to be uh, the, the message the, the, for each of those areas. Okay. Um, ended up with thinking, you know, basically doing a three-year plan and uh, how to develop that. Okay, okay. So, um, and, and so it, it was in 2020 or? That was in 2019. 19, okay. Um, okay, so that's, you had to study each country and learn a bit the specificity of... Uh, it was in Europe, huh? Uh, uh, the, the country you studied? No, what? we looked at uh, North America, ah. Asia, and Europe. So we had okay. uh, three, three zones. Yeah. Okay, okay, great. So um, uh, we will come back a bit about all this uh, a bit later. But so, uh, as you said, you, you also worked in, in a bit b before in New York uh, for the uh, Opera de Paris. Mm -hmm. uh, your job was to fundraise in the US for the Opera de Paris. Uh, so it's uh, very interesting and it, it Helps us, uh, it will help us to understand a bit more the American culture of philanthropy. So could you explain to us a bit more in detail what uh, your job was? Yes, I mean, it's, a, it's a very broad. Yeah. Um, so I was the director of the American Friends, uh, which is a lot of fundraising, but not just that. Um, just, it, just to start, American Friends is a bit the, the everybody uses this word in the US. It's, it's a common word. It's not invented by Opera de Paris. It's a, no, no, no. Um, American Friends is really a structure um, that it's an independent US-based structure that aim at um, supporting in an organization somewhere else. Um, doesn't have to be. It's not only f uh, done for French organization, um, but the American Friends of the Paris Opera and Ballet are actually one of the oldest one. Um, it's been created in 1986. Um, it was for a, um, a tour of the ballet in, in New York, actually. Um, but no, American Friends is, is a, sort of a generic term. Okay. Um, and and as I just mentioned, it's actually um, 
an independent organization. So in the U.S. and actually everywhere in the world, you, when you're looking at any uh, not-for-profit organization, um, it has to be independent. Uh, it is um, regulated by local tax law. Um, and in the case of the uh, this one that we're talking about, the American Friends of the Paris Opera and Ballet, uh, it means you have to have some independence between that organization and the Paris Opera in, in France. Okay. Um, so when we were, the work um, was, again, very diverse, but we did spend a lot of time, I did spend a lot of time f- fundraising, um, but fundraising for programs in France, um, where the idea would be to showcase the American talent. So for productions in the, in Paris that maybe were, um, you know, showcasing an American choreographer, an American playwright, what do I know? Uh, and then for program in, uh, in the US, um, that we would basically set up and, um, discuss with the Paris Opera. And the game there was to, um, um, to bring some attention to the Paris Opera. Okay, okay. So you were also organizing the programs. You were not only fundraising, you were fundraising and uh, also organizing uh, the opera's presence in the States. And, and yes. when the States was coming to Paris, uh, when, maybe, when, uh, yeah. actors or singers, uh, when the American singers in, in the opera, you were um, helping them to have a link with the Opera de Paris? Uh, so we we don't do the artistic part because okay, that that's yeah. really diff, uh, very uh, much something that the you know it's it's dead by in Paris. Um, but we do we set up a lot of programs. I did create, for example, a program of um, uh, for scholarship um, that basically when the um, when the Paris Opera Ballet School turned three hundred three hundred years old, yeah. um, they um, opened to students outside of uh, of their own um, and opened a summer camp. Um, and uh, on this occasion, we decided that uh, we would create a scholarship program for American kids to send them to Paris. Um, and so we found some donors for that, which was <clears throat> a very appealing program. People love to have, you know, to know who exactly are they going to support and what is that kid going to do? And it was, it was really charming too, because we, um, the only thing I had asked to the kids was to write a letter at the end of the, uh, of the, um, of the summer program to tell them what they had done, what they had discovered, how, you know, what was the experience about? Um, and then that worked actually so well that, um, eventually we had some of the French kids coming, um, wanted to actually go to the, to American school because they yeah. had like chatted and met during the summer. So we started doing programs with, uh, five by this school in the US. And so it was like one of those like example of, uh, of good, you know, good exchange program. Um, okay. Okay. And so the, the, these letters, you then you showed them to the parents and to other American parents, and uh, we actually shared there essentially with donors because yeah. that was you know to to show them how how great it was that they had participated in this program. Okay. Um, so it's a good counterpart in a way, and it's also good to uh, tease in to get some new donors. You know, yeah, that's yeah, of one course. of those things. <laughs> Alors, so, so, what can you uh, tell us about you know why do American donors? Uh, want to give money for? I mean, I know it's a broad question, but uh, uh, in your experience for the opera, what you know, did you have to? Well, did you have find what were your, your tricks on what you were talking about to interest an American donor? So the first thing that's quite quite challenging, I want to say, when you're an American friend, by definition, you're looking for um, an interest in an organization that is not local, right? Uh, so what typically in the, in the international giving side. Um, yeah. So the, the, the donors, the people we're talking to are people who are extremely interesting uh, because they, I mean, when you think about it, they give money for something that's 
not even in their country, that they might go see or listen to, you know, once in a while. Yeah. Um, so they are well-traveled, well-cultured. So they're interesting pe people. Um, but they also have their major or their first interest locally. Um, so most of those donors also give to, you know, the Met Opera and uh, the New York City Ballet or whatever that is yeah. in, in this case. Um, so you have to think about it's not, it's not, it's not, Instead of whatever they're already doing, this comes on top on of. Top, yeah. um, and it's actually something very interesting too, which is I think a lot of people look at donors as um, you know, competing for donors, uh, where the reality is the, um, people always give in several places. Yeah. And it's not, it's not necessarily a competing market. So this is, I mean, and especially I think in the, in, in the case of the American market, this is something that's completely okay and completely clear that you can belong to several boards. You can participate in several organizations. It's, you know, it's, it's okay. It's fine. And it's, it's nothing. What does it change? In your, it's, it's, it's very interesting. And it, I understand how you have to have it in mind when you talk to someone. Yeah. You're not going to say, Oh, take your money away from somewhere. You, you know he's giving uh, elsewhere and, and it's uh, okay with this and you have to tell him, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, uh, of course, you, you give to also to the Met and you, uh, you, you, you I mean, uh, it's, it's good to do it. But um, so you, okay, you, you don't, uh, it's not a turn. When someone tells you, ah, I gave already to this and to this, it's not at all uh, uh, a no, it's just uh, an information you have. But it doesn't uh, discourage you to... No, and hopefully, yeah, yeah, I do have this information before I talk to him anyway, because yeah. I've done my homework. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it's actually, it's also a way to thank him for his generosity. You know that somebody generous, you know it's somebody who participates. So you somehow have the indication that is is likely to listen to you. Um, now, um, you know, the relationship to money and to talking about money in general in the US is extremely different from most of the European countries, um, it's quite transparent. There is no um, bad feeling about it. For one, there is not bad feeling about having some money and spending some money. You know, in France, if you if you give a large amount of money, um, instead of telling, you know, instead of hearing thank you, you might hear, "How did you get that money?" Yeah. In the first place, um, where in the US, um, if you give money, people say great thank you i love it um and, and it can be then very depending on you know what everybody wants to do but it's perfectly okay to publicly thank someone for for their gift obviously you have to make sure beforehand it's so fine but most yeah. of the case it's public it's okay to have a, a public acknowledgement uh it's it's even something they would actually appreciate um so again the the relationship um to towards money is different and it's almost like um it's a game um to which everybody knows the rule so if you if you approach someone uh, in the process of um cultivating i mean culti you know the the word doesn't even translate in french you cultivate as if you would you know grow a um a seed right yeah. so you cultivate a relationship you cultivate a donor like you would grow carrots right um so you have to um you have to enter into a relationship in which everybody knows how it's going gonna, it's gonna to play. So when you start talking to a donor, um, basically if they, if they enter into the game, if they accept to discuss with you, we all know where we're going, right? We all know yeah. some, at some point we're going to ask for money. And if they have accepted the game, they are, they are likely to give us the money. Um, the, the key point is um, what amount and for which topic. So it's all about, but that's, that's, you know, it's true everywhere, but it's easier when it's an open game, um, to really listen to where, um, 
where does it make sense? Where can we add something? Where is, are we going to go to the point that the donor is actually going to be happy to give the money? Um, I, I always say, you know, ideally at the end, the donor is thankful that he gave the money because uh, you've helped him realize something. Like, um, and, um, and how, how do you do this? I guess you have to listen to him at the beginning, of course, because of so he's yeah. happy at the end. He has, you have to answer his needs. Uh, so, uh, to, uh, I mean, you built, you built, you, can you change your programs? Because so you can do a, a bit of everything. So when you, when you listen to the, to the donors, you obviously have a lot of things in mind that, you know, you already have programs going on. You have programs that you're thinking, mm, that could get good for that person. Um, and that's the reason you probably approach them. Um, but then if it's a large enough donor, you might end up in thinking, well, maybe we'll build something around that person, um, which is, only feasible if you have an organization that's um, that's uh, flexible flexible enough uh, and and doesn't have too much silos. Uh, so it's not always feasible. Uh, yeah, but that's an ideal world where you can you know bring some. You're thinking, well, actually, this is a good idea. We should we should leverage that idea. And also, a lot of those donors are very um, are, are savvy businessmen. Um, so it might be interesting to listen to them. Uh, yeah. It might be interesting to have some some inputs, not on the artistic level. That's not the point. We don't want them to tell the director of the opera, you should <laughs> use that singers. That's not the point. Yeah. Um, but it could be interesting to listen to the structure they're proposing. And when you say, uh, what, what is a... Uh, so it's, only, it's for major donors. Huh? Uh, it's not mm. to have uh, uh, $50. It's, uh, what is a... Uh, do you have a minimum... Uh, you, you aim for, and uh, at one point, what, when you say, uh, if it's a, a, a large donor, you can really change your program. And what is, a, do you have in, in mind a minimum of a donation? Or? No, because the program, you know, like a, the scholarship program I was talking about earlier, that's that's really, I want to say cheap. I mean, it costs, you know, we give like $10,000 for each kid. I mean, it's nothing. But then we can go from this to programs where it costs, you know, a million to uh, replace. We had a, we had um, an American donor who, wanted to give us uh, a structure in acoustic shell for the for the um, opera bastille and of course yeah. we made that happen um, but that's like a one million you know, you know, yeah. you know it's not the same <laughs> um so in that case you know we wanted to give that and obviously it's it serves a purpose for the opera of course we're going to make that happen you know yeah. um so it can go from uh, very different layers but um it's um uh, yeah, I don't see large gift is something that means some has very different meaning per each organization. Yeah, yeah, for of sure. But uh, can, so. can you? Is it possible to have the figures, or can you communicate on this? How much did you collect, and how many donors did you, did you have? Uh, Ten donors or one thousand? Uh, what is the? How many people did you have to? In, for uh, the Paris to, Opera, you mean? yeah. Um, we would, I think, we would collect between four hundred k and two million, depending on the year. Okay. Um, and depending on the programs, when I'm saying depending on the, on the year, it means depending on what we were collecting for, whether it was just production, whether it was specific projects. Um, so, yeah, I would say that's about the average, total, which uh, is um, which is not much compared to the overall budget of the Paris Opera. I mean, that's just peanuts compared to it. What, uh, the overall budget is uh, a lot. Okay, <laughs> okay, and uh, and uh, and and so just to have an idea, also uh, for this. Uh, uh, between 400 and, and 2 million. How many donors are, is it, is it 10 donors? Or does, I mean, you have people giving uh, at least $10,000 uh, $10, or no, you had plenty of 
of $1,000. Uh, so we did also have a membership. So the, what we call the $1,000, those are more memberships. Okay. So we had a system of memberships as well. Um, so those are not the large donors. Those are uh, more uh, numerous, I want to say. Okay. Um, and the, so that enters the, um, the counterpart thinking where, you know, we have different levels of, of membership and depending on which level you're at, you have different, um, you know, access in general. Uh, and then those membership, as if I remember well, started at 1000 up to 50 and above 50, we considered those had more specific, um, they were, it was okay. more tailored. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah, fifty thousand. Hmm. Um, and, and so you talked about the, the organization and how you mustn't be too much in silo because otherwise hmm. it's difficult to adapt uh, if there's a special demand from a donor. Uh, well, what can you tell us about the organization uh, in place? I mean, uh, you, how many people were there over there to with you? Were you alone? Or? Oh, it's a very small organization yeah. in the US. So the actually the operational is very small. Um, I was running it with two half person, I want to say. Um, but then we had a, a quite large board. Um, and we can talk about the role of the board as well. Um, we had a large board of about 30 people who were people we call trustees, um, whose role was what we call give, give, get or get out. Uh, give or get yeah. is what we usually call it officially. Give, get, get out is kind of what actually happens, which is, um, the, that board, um, has for role to either bring money, uh, or bring some sort of, um, uh, some, whatever is in their capacity, whether it's a, they're working for the organization somehow. They, they, they have a peer firm. They're helping us with the legal aspects, things like this. Um, or if they don't bring money, they bring network and that network is going to give money. Yeah. And if they don't do either of that, then maybe then, we don't keep them on the board for too long. So, um, so this is very different. We, we, um, I, I know we often say that the, yeah, the board are different in, 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 in Europe and in, in the States. In the States, I mean, the same, everybody knows the rules. You know, so this give, yes. get, or get out. Uh, again, uh, it's very common, though. Um, in, in our case, we had, um, we had a two-layered board. So we had this large board, and then we had a more of an executive um, committee. Um, that was a, a smaller um, group of just four people. And those four people are the people who um, really... Uh, look at the strategy and, and, uh, what are we going to do next year and uh, okay. th these kind of things. So, um, in general, um, and that's valid for every organization in the US, a board has this, you know, give, get, um, deal. And that's, that's written. I mean, everybody knows when you get into a board, that's, that's, uh, it's mandatory. Um, and then most boards have, um, committees. Um, yeah. so you, you basically make the board members work. Um, but they want, they, they want it. I mean, I've discussed with several of our board members and, um, and, and aspiring board members. They want to be involved. Uh, and I had several telling me, well, if I'm not involved, I'm not interested in, in staying okay. on this, uh, on this, in this group. Um, and yeah. then the work can be very diverse. It can be, uh, it depends again how large the organization is, but it can go from, um, searching new, uh, board members to, uh, organizing some events to, uh, um, looking at the finance. I mean, it's, uh, there's a lot of things you can task them with. Did, did you recruit the board yourself or? Uh, so the recruitment of the board is really, um, it's, um, it's always a, a team effort. So you, you know, yeah. somebody's going to suggest someone and then you see how you can approach them. Uh, and it's, um, 
it's it's very often some board members who will recommend some other ones. Yeah, um, I guess. And how many people are there in the board? Uh, just it uh, was about thirty people on this. Ah, case. yeah. So it's mm. a big board. Uh, mm. uh, okay, okay. And, and I guess the training of the board is also part of your mission to. I mean, to, to uh, have the most of each people, you have to... Engaging take, them, yeah, yes. Engage Enga them. Engaging them is, uh, them is important, yes. Um, and and uh, did you have, uh, uh, did you have an example of someone in the board that maybe uh, struck you most or that, that you know, gave a, a, a huge help or, uh, I don't know, someone in the board that you, you remember doing something that you were astonishing or... I don't know if I would say astonishing, but you have some that are more involved than others. And you always have the one who's the first to say, Hey, let's just have them come in my house. You know, we're going to do, we're looking at what we're looking at setting up a private dinner for cultivation and having an artist come and be like, Yeah, you just come at my house. It'll be fine. We'll do it in my living room. Uh, yeah. You know, so <laughs> you always have the one that's like, Okay, perfect then. Um, and uh, so, it's, and then the relationship is easier with some than others. Um, some of them have, uh, have become really close friends with. Some, I see them every time they travel now to France. I see them. Yeah, okay. see them. So um, it's, um, yeah, obviously develop your own personal relationship with them because, because the more you involve them, the more they, they are useful to the organization. Okay, okay well, of course, yeah. Uh, and the, the tax advantage, of course, uh, it's, it's uh, important for everyone here in, in the States, so even more, I think. How do people react with the... Um, so Thanks. in that's why we were talking earlier about the fact that the Friends of Organization has to be um, independent. Um, the um, the tax benefits it's not the same. Um, it's not calculated the same way as France, but there is a, a clear um, tax benefits in um, in giving. Um, the tax benefit only applies um, if you give to an American. Um, non-for-profit organization. So if you want to yeah. give money uh, to an organization in, outside from the U.S., then, then no tax deduction. Um, and that's why the, the, the Friends of do exist. Uh, but it, it means that the Friends of or any organization has to, um, uh, to follow some legal requirements. Um, and, and it, it can be sort of tricky. Um, the Americans, don't want the friends of organization to become just a funnel to get money outside of the US. Yeah. Uh, so if the, uh, if this, uh, friends of organization does nothing else than get money outside, um, then it can lose its, um, its status. And then it means all of your donors do get, um, cut back on their tax refund and you don't want that to happen. Ah, it can happen. They can ask um, you for the... Mm. the so you want to make sure that your, um, you know, we, that the organization are very, um, Uh, cleanly run <laughs> yeah. and that you, you follow your mission and that you, you know, you keep your, your 501c3 status. Um, okay. So, so you have to show that you're doing things in the US, uh, that you, mm. uh, you really have a presence in the US. Yes. Yeah. And you actually, um, you don't have to have a physical presence. You, I mean, your office, uh, the, uh, you have to be incorporated in the US. You don't necessarily have, um, office. in oh. office, you don't necessarily have a director. You have to have a board, uh, of minimum three people. Um, so it has, you know, certain numbers of war, but it's not, it's not complicated, uh, as long as you, uh, as you do actually run in the US. Yeah. Okay. And, and uh, 
I, we say again that the uh, uh, so so you were there for you were therefore um, Opera Paris were one of the first friends of. So you have a long history. But if uh, an organization, uh, a new European organization, wants to start and and doesn't want to make too much uh, legal effort into it, there's uh, there are structures like uh, uh, <coughs> like Frederic and, and his. Uh, Friends of uh, Transnational Giving Europe and Friends of, you can contact uh, Fondation de France, who helps you to uh, build your first uh, uh, legal presence and to explain you the, the taxes. And, and well, you can go through structures that already exist uh, without uh, you having to f have your foundation, etc. So that's true everywhere, right? That's not just in the USA. Anywhere you can either create your own foundation with whatever are the legal laws um, and, and the legal hoops you have to go through. Yeah. Um, and that is establishing your own structure, the, you know, and if you want to fundraise in the US, but also if you, you know, in French and you want to fundraise in, the, in Germany or what do I know? Um, so you can always do that. Um, and the other way is um, either if you don't want, if you're not too sure how much, um, how much time and effort you want to spend if you're not too sure how many gifts you're going to have for that country. So is it worthwhile setting up a structure? Um, you might use a, um, a shelter foundation. Yeah. Um, and then you use a foundation already existing in that country. Um, you mentioned Fondation de France, um, but many other ones. I mean, I'll talk later about um, Chaplain York, which is an organization I work for. Um, but many other organizations now do this, um, this sort of shelter um, functioning um, where the, you can have your own so-called foundation under their umbrella. Um, okay. And then they run all the, um, the tax um, and the legal aspects. Uh, because typically in the U.S., uh, we were... We, even though you don't pay taxes, a foundation doesn't pay taxes, there is a whole, um, uh, paperwork that you have to file every year to the fax, to the IRS. Um, you have it to be audited every year. It's, it's, it's quite heavy. And then yeah, yeah, you I'm might sure. be happy not having to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So it's great to, yeah. So even, in, in, even more when you start after mm -hmm. when you begin big, uh, maybe you can have your own foundation, but when you start and you're not sure it's going to work, it's right. Of course you, you go through, uh, a shelter foundation. So, uh, so today, yeah, let, let's, uh, uh, do this transition. So you, one of your clients today is Chapel and York, um, mm -hmm. uh, who is an organization who, well, tell us about this organization and it works a lot in international giving. Uh, so, uh, tell us about his, its, its history and what it does. So Chapel and York is, um, is an organization that's actually 25 years old already. Um, and it was created, um, with, um, international philanthropy in mind and solely international philanthropy. Um, so the, in Chaplain York has a network of foundations in several, uh, seven countries, um, in Europe and also in the Hong Kong, Singapore, um, US and Canada. Um, and the idea was to look at tax efficiency when a donor is in one country and then the organization that person wants to fund is in another country. Um, and um, the next step after that was in the countries where Chaplain York is not present, then advising, as we were discussing, advising if you want to create your own foundation, then having all the legal advice and potentially running the operations um, for, for you know, creating the, that 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 foundation, um, and more recently again, um, 
the the president of the uh, of Chapel in New York realized that a lot of the um, a lot of the um, NGOs um, after they opened this the access to this tool of being able to you know get money from another country were kind of wondering okay well, how do we how do we fundraise in that country because very often they open because they think it might be a good idea. They just received a gift and they want to set up the tool for it. Yeah, um, it's, it's, I know it's very often they have a gift. Yeah, someone says, okay, I have a, ten, a large gift. Uh, mm. So they say, okay, how, how do I receive this? And so they open their, their presents for one gift. But then they will they say, okay, maybe I can have more. <laughs> exactly. So after the, after, after, and we can talk about that later, but after, after they decide that they want to have this structure, um, they put it in place and they're saying, well, how do I fundraise for more in this country? Um, and, um, Nancy Bixen, the president, um, realized that instead of just, you know, sending them elsewhere, uh, we might as well do this in house. Um, and so, uh, for the past couple of years, um, there has been a, um, a fundraising department that has, you know, grown. Um, and that's now in place with a consultant pretty much all over the world. Uh, and the idea there is to accompany the structure who want to fundraise. Um, so if you want, I can explain a bit how this, yeah, yeah. how the process works. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's going how I'm an NGO and I come and see you. I say, okay, uh, I'm thinking about uh, going into, uh, uh, fundraising in Germany or in Italy or in, anywhere. Well, what do you, what do you say? <laughs> so the, the process is I basically speak with the NGO first. So after we had this, um, somehow coming to us, cause we have many ways they come to us, but after we get that there is some interest, um, in fundraising internationally, again, we never heard, we never help any organization fundraise domestically. So we don't compete with any kind of like uh, consulting, uh, firms, things like this. Okay. Um, so they come to us. And so I discussed with them initially to, to better understand the organization first, you know, what are they doing? Um, how far are they in their thinking? Um, what is their team currently look like? Um, how are they organized? I mean, just finding out what are their hopes um, and discussing with them the first um, ideas about where we could help them, or where you know, I think we could direct them, things like this. What are the cases where you say, okay, no, you, you're, not, you're too young or you should still focus on your local... Uh uh, fundraising market, but not go abroad. Uh, I mean, are there some red flags for you where you say, okay, this organization is not ready to go abroad? Um, yes, obviously there are a few, yeah, a lot of cases that we don't, you know, pursue. Um, unfortunately, actually, because I guess every organization has a wonderful right. mission. Um, some organizations are just too small. Um, and, and if they, if they cannot even handle their local market, it's difficult to think about, um, going outside. Um, just also organizations that don't have any bandwidth at all on it. Um, cause whatever the work we do, um, if, if, if there is nobody uh, able to, listen to it, um, then it's going to be difficult. It's going to be, it's not going to be worth it. Uh, it can be that there is no one today and that they do want to hire people. Um, but then you need to make sure you have some, um, that, that the, uh, the upper management and the board is, is on board. Okay. Um, so we have to make sure this is actually, they, they want to do it and they have the capacity to do it. So, so if um, someone tells you, uh, oh yeah, there's a, uh, Monique, uh, she's always is in charge of uh, telemarketing and uh, 
and her major donors and all this in, 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 and she is going to also take in charge the international uh, fundraising you say no it's not going to happen she has already a lot of uh, too much work today to do today so uh, it, can't, it can't be in, in, on top of someone who's already uh, fully booked no alors that, that's not exactly it because if uh, if the boss of Monique really wants this to happen then it might happen okay. um, especially because what we do with Chapel and York is not just the consulting, we can also operate in the country. So we do the consulting portion, uh, so the, the portion that's ahead and thinking the whole, um, from the whole strategic thinking and developing the case and thinking, doing the feasibility study, which country is it, does it make sense, uh, which type of donor we're going to look at and, and up to the way of accompanying um, the organization to, to make the ask. Um, but we can go um, down to the the um, the field work uh, and have somebody be that organization in a country. So yeah. Um, so if but the, the the downside is it does cost some money obviously to the organization. Um, so they have to be ready to pay for that service. Um, that being said, it might be way cheaper than having your own person full time over there. Uh, so it, it it because Monique is completely over up of her head doesn't mean we're not going to do it. Yeah. Um, if if there is a, a real um, if it makes sense if there is a real support for it. Okay, and basically you have a, a network of people in, in, in many countries that you know that are like consultants uh, that can work uh, part-time or maybe full-time for an organization for a few months to study. Uh, and yeah. So yeah. You, ha you have this network. Ready. So we have built and we continue growing this network of uh, experts. Uh, we call them experts because they're not all consultants. As you can say, we have oper operation person, we have consultant. We have also very specific tasks uh, for, for example, event uh, management, for grant writing, things like this. That are, And most of, the, of those jobs need to be quite local. So we, we have a network. We are, again, continuing to grow the network. The intention is to more than double it by the end of next year. So it's uh, pretty intense. Um, and so when, uh, so when I talk with this NGO first, um, so I, I get all this information back and then we have an internal meeting where we're thinking, okay, who is the best expert for this, uh, for this client? Um, and it actually can be a team of experts. We might end up thinking, well, um, the, uh, the, you know, the job is going to happen both in Singapore and in the US. So it's not going to be the same person working together. We'll decide, who is the best and who's going to be the lead on it because we still need to have something that is um, coherent. Yeah. Um, and after we've we've done this internally, we um, we introduce the experts to the organization. So we uh, it's a visio, obviously, with a whole lot of uh, juggling with time zones. Yeah. Um, and so we do this visio with the prospect client um, to make sure that it's a happy match um, and to give a chance for the consultant to um, ask whatever follow-up question they have. Um, and then they, we can uh, issue a formal proposal to the client. And if that um, if the client's happy with it, then um, then we start the actual work. Okay, and, and uh, I mean, uh, do you, do you have a lot of demands? You have more demands? Do you, uh, you, you think you have more, more and more demands? Uh, how, how is the market, uh, do you think, reacting on international uh, giving? And well, do, you see, do, you, do you have the impression that NGO are more and more interested? Or We, we have definitely a lot of requests, a lot of demands. Um, we And we have requests from, from really all over. Um, from I don't know, Australia, a, a lot. I mean, a lot from UK, just because the, um, the organization was born there initially. So yeah. all the English-speaking country in general, I would say. Um, but we just have some from India, from Germany, from Nepal, um, 
from uh, Brazil, Argentina. I mean, we really have requests from everywhere. Um, and as we discussed very often, the even the idea of um, of fundraising internationally comes because somehow they received the organization received a gift from abroad, and it's really somehow. I mean, it's usually not solicited. It's just um, well, that's a lucky guess. That's yeah. you know, um, so that triggers a thinking. That triggers something about. Hmm, that might be a good idea. Let's explore this market or let's see if we can do more. So very often it starts like this, less often, but it does happen. It's more of an, of a uh, strategic thinking from the board. We've had, we have, um, we just have a case of, um, um, it's an animal protection organization based in the UK, uh, who is really thinking, um, have a very formal thinking. They want to see, does it make sense for them? In which country should we go? So they take it from the very first step. But more, more case than not, it's just a, uh, somehow there has been an eye-opening uh, gift. Uh, okay. Um, uh, maybe can you uh, give us a, an example? You would, uh, this example of the, the animal association or uh, an, an example of an organization uh, you, you help uh, So some I'm not going to be able to give you much names, but um, uh, two of the organizations we're discussing with um, currently, um, one is a uh, they're very different. So I think it's interesting. One is an Australian company, uh, oh no, not company, sorry, <laughs> association, yeah. um, and they um, develop some hearing aid um, product yeah. um, for some very specific hearing disease. Um, it's more of a research uh, kind of organization. Um, and they um, typically, they have had a very large gift coming from the US um, and they want to develop this market. Uh, and they're, what they're doing is is very uh, technical. Um, it's very specific uh, and they're very good at what they're doing. And typically, they don't have... For them, we're not going to be looking at, okay, are there Australians somewhere in the world that could support an Australian case? This is really something we have to focus on the, that specific disease and the technology. Um, so this is a focus that is really could be somehow anywhere in the world. And this, you know, we're, we're going to refocus that on, on specific countries that we have discussed with them. Um, but this is a more of a technical thinking um, where the other organization, that's a German organization that's um, uh, also actually in health because it's in Bone Marrow, um, Bone Marrow Donors. Um, in, in what? In, in, uh, they are look, they're, um, uh, blood cancer. They're blood basically cancer. Uh, fighting okay. blood cancer to uh, finding um, donors for bone marrows. Um, and they have, they're initiated in Germany. They're already in seven countries. They want to increase to 30 countries. Um, but they are looking at their expansion based on where are the, the, uh, the bone marrow donors, not the money donors. When they, yeah. when every time they say donors for them, it means sell donors. Doesn't mean people are going to give them some money. Okay. Um, and so they're looking at their expansion from an angle that's completely different from what we maybe would suggest initially in terms of where would they raise money. Um, and so we had to have this whole discussion about, you know, what do we focus on and um, um, what is the primary um, goal of opening a country? Yeah. Um, and in, in this case, this company is also very um, traditionally European or traditionally German. I don't know if I want to say that. Um, and the fact that they, uh, they're not comfortable with talking about money and, f and fundraising, um, as they are very much 
afraid um, that asking for money will somehow push away the people who give sense, I mean, the bone marrow. Um, so we have a whole portion of the work that's about um, uh, the culture and really thinking that because they have this culture doesn't mean it applies to the countries that we're, you know, uh, yeah. actually fundraising well, in. Yeah, I guess well, the, the, all these cultural differences is uh, an important part of your job. In, in the communication, I guess it, it changes a lot when you communicate in... In Italy or in Poland or in Sweden, yeah. it's, it's a very different kind of... And that's where we 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 almost always have to adapt the, the message that is developed domestically by the organization to to the market that we're looking at. Yeah. Um, and in this case, we've decided to put a team of several consultants, one who's a German person, uh, to better interface with, with the homeland, yeah. and one who's more of a... Um, um, uh, let's say an outgoing and uh, more American-minded kind of person uh, for the countries we want to develop with them. <laughs> okay, and, and I know it's difficult because every organization is different. But uh, could you have give us like maybe ideas on on the money uh, you have to invest to um, to have this perfection and, and to have a test maybe in an in abroad uh, and 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 the time it takes. Uh, I mean. The average time it takes to 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 open a country and to uh, that's a very uh, tricky I know, I know, question. I know, but um, I don't know. If I you know, if I go back to the um, what we did with Fondation de France, um, because this I have some you know it was in two nineteen, so I can have some yeah. look back at it. Um, we were looking at a rollout plan of three years over three um, geographic areas, um, thinking that. We cannot do everything at the same time. Uh, and then the approach was very different for each of the countries. Um, and, you know, you, you mentioned Frédéric Terrain. I met him recently and he said, well, we, we basically ran the plan as we had, you know, uh, as expected. So it, it does take those steps. Okay. Uh, it, it does take the, you know, this, this time. Three years of, um, for... I mean, it was three countries, three years. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's, like uh, two, it's already <laughs> very fast, I think. But uh, That's to, to get your... doesn't mean you're like... Um, that's... in. Uh, getting your foot in the door and getting yeah, created, yeah. right? It doesn't mean that... Uh, You're collecting uh, millions. Yeah. Mean, yeah. yeah, as soon as you open, then uh, money starts flowing. Huh? Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, okay, and, and I guess, yeah, the investment, the, the, the minimum investment, uh, it's in tens of thousands of euros, uh, of course, uh, to get ready and to open and to be legally ready and to have the communication ready, uh, adapted to the country, uh, uh, once again, I know it's difficult, but yeah, I say it's once again it's difficult because it's not the same if you're going to open um, your own structure as if you're going to be uh, under the umbrella of another one's. Uh, it's not the same. I mean, you can open sort of in a soft way uh, where you start looking at um, more of an ambassador kind of, uh, yeah. kind of way of looking at things, just with an ambassador network before you, and then that person is free somehow. Uh, and then the job of that person is to bring you some donors. So uh, the person is free beside the fact that you really need to engage that person. Yeah. Um, so it, it goes from creating a, a real structure to, to something that's free beside a lot of time, uh, and, and some thoughts before. And, and okay. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I understand. I understand. And, and, uh, just to go back to the board, is it the first step when you, I mean, you talked about the importance of the board in the States, uh, I guess uh, having a board, uh, the equivalent of a board in the country, the first thing you say you have is having a local board where you have people from the country that are going to help you then uh, 
is it is it one of the first having local people in yeah. Genoa is something that's key uh, and that's that's what Chapelinok is doing with their the local consultant but for any organization opening uh, opening uh, fundraising abroad having an, a, a person or an I want to say uh, local is is key for cultural reason for networking for um, for visibility of the organization um, so whether it's to a, a whether it's through some ambassadors, whether it's through some um, creating a, a local board, it can be an advisory board if you don't have a, a formal structure yet, or whether it's through some more creative creative way. I'm just thinking, um, Chapel Angel has just decided to do um, to launch this year in in awards, and um, so it's going to be a fundraising award uh, worldwide. And yeah. this is one of the way that you keep an eye on what's happening in other country without having a formal uh, team or a, a to a to a committee or things like this. Um, but definitely having some sort of um, of somebody on the ground who's well implemented, well networked uh, is key. Yeah, of course. Um, and are, are there many firms like you doing uh, what you do, helping uh, to? Because I, I, I don't know many, but uh, I mean. So um, doing the whole scope from the um, hosting of the foundations um, all the way to the consulting. Now uh, we we have competitors on both sides. So I mean, we talked about uh, TG Transnational Europe yeah. um, that typically does the same uh, scope um, as what uh, Chapman York is doing in with the with the foundations um, in in Europe. Um, we. They are obviously, um, you know, a lot of consulting firm, um, but with the whole scope and solely uh, looking at international giving, uh, I don't think so. Okay, okay, yeah, but okay, it means that it's new. It's a market with, which is uh, maybe growing and, and starting. And uh, well, we, we know that NGO does, don't have for the moment the reflex of saying, "Oh, thinking abroad." I mean, the European but it, NGOs, mm -hmm. but. Uh, But what we actually, I think the goal of Chapel and York is to tell them that it's possible. And it's not that difficult or we can actually somehow make it easier. Um, and hopefully have them fundraise for the mission. I mean, yeah. that's really the point and, and, um, and help them build for it so that, you know, eventually if they want to be independent with it afterwards, that's perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like you say, saying that it's possible, it's already a, a big, a huge step in your mind just to understand it's possible. Uh, Uh, well, we know that in our country we don't have the reflex. Some countries are like the States or we, Israel, I think, always, or, mm. be, or, or little countries like Belgium, I know they always think internationally uh, very quickly. But um, like France or Germany or Italy, the big countries in Europe, uh, they, they always are focused on their local market. Uh, uh, I, I, well, that's what I always hear on, on, on companies. They are, they are not looking internationally enough. I would say yes, and then the down the the other side is um, when they think I've seen this in the US when they think about fundraising abroad, um, they think maybe they think it's going to be too too easy somehow. I remember when I was in the US and I had a I actually had the consul send to me a bunch of organization who would come and say um, uh, how. How do I fundraise in the U.S.? I mean, they would come to the consul consulate and say, you know, be the church of the tiny town somewhere down France and thinking yeah. that they just need to come to the U.S. to make money. Yeah. Like, and money would just flow. Um, and the consul would send it to me and to a, a few other director of, of friends of organization to explain to them what it actually takes. Um, and it's not that 
you know, um, self-evident. Uh, it's possible. Doesn't mean it's so easy. Or yeah, you can, yeah. we can help making it easy, uh, but it's just not. You know, it, it takes a bit of work still. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, of course. You know, it's uh, you have to find the right uh, message. It, it, it's feasible, but uh, with you have to put an organization. It, it works with an organization with with time, with a strategy, and with knowing uh, the market, and knowing mm-hmm. the market, yeah. and and of course having the right people. Uh, on your side, <laughs> of course. Um, okay, great. Well, um, uh, I think uh, it's uh, it's clear. Um, uh, let me... Uh, well, basically, of course, uh, we can't answer all the questions in, in, <laughs> in a few minutes or an hour. So uh, for if people have more questions, they can contact you, of course. Um, and, and you would be very happy to... To help them, um, maybe to uh, to conclude because we are coming to the end of the the interview. Uh, I like to to finish with uh, one uh, question at the end. Uh, let's say, for example, the uh, the last time you 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 saw something uh, astonishing about fundraising, some you know, an experience you had. You said, "Oh gosh, uh, this thing is working. Uh, I find it incredible." Um, so there is um, there is this this one gala I remember. So I attended and organized a lot of uh, events and, and gala back in the US, especially. But there is w- this one that was very um, surprising. Um, it was a gala by uh, US America Grand Prix, um, which is um, a dance competition. And I had attended some of those like several years in a row. But this one, this one year, they um, at some point at the middle, you know, all of the in the center of the the, 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 the tables, there is a, a bunch of uh, of dancers start gathering. Some cute little ones, and then some m- much more famous, you know, prima dancers, um, and taking the microphone and saying, "Well, you know, we are very thankful for this organization that has you know opened some doors for us, created some some really interesting path, and um, and um, if you know if it wouldn't be for them, then you know we couldn't." Do this, and uh, we would like for you to, uh, you know, support the organization to be able to continue for other uh, yeah. kids after us. And so, pretty much with that, so who wants to give us some money? Who who here is going to give me one thousand dollars? Please raise your hand. And people started raising their hand in around the the the, the galas, like, you know, five hundred people, like huge number of tables. And then the little dancers were flying away and just uh, collecting pledge around the tables. And then they're like, okay, now who wants to give me two thousand? And they keep doing two thousand, five thousand, ten thousand dollars. And and there was really nothing to auction beside supporting the organization. Yeah. Um, and it's very impressive that you know people were happy to raise their hand, to be seen, uh, to participate, and had really no um, no counterparts beside... It wasn't about, you know, you're going to have a dinner with those kids, you're going to see a performance, nothing. It was just you're going to support the organization. And I found it really impressive thinking, um, well, obviously you're not going to do it every year. It doesn't work, you know, every time. But it was really somehow very surprising, very new. Um, and it was also very well organized because, of course, the um, the director, who's an amazing lady, had um, had some of something in her back pocket before, which is that she had um, discussed with a, a, a donor that she had, you know, had pledged before, um, and she made sure that Donna, at the beginning, she introduced him and said, "Well, this Mr. X 
just agreed to give us $50,000. Let's have him raise and it would be, a, you know, clapped yeah. for him. And then, you know, she transitioned to the kids and, and it was sort of a, well, you know, you've done this first, so now you kind of have to match him. Um, so it, but it was really impressive and I've never seen that ever again. So it's yeah, quite yeah. special. <laughs> and, and, yeah, but you think you can't do this every year? It was, it, no, I don't think yeah. you, I mean, I had been to, I have been to their gala, which were much more traditional yeah. the other years. And, but this one time was just nothing else than, Hey, if you want to give me money, raise your hand. And that was quite mesmerizing. Yeah, yeah. And, and like always, it seems very easy, but it, it's also prepared. And like you said, the, 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 the woman before she had she had talked to the donors before and, and the sequence was surely prepared first we yeah. interview you and then with the kids and then we raise the mm. we ask the public but yeah it's a combination of uh, something very uh, natural and, yeah. and it also looks prepared. spontaneous yeah. uh, but it was very obviously very well prepared but it it, it worked it was really uh, yeah very impressive okay okay so everybody can do this the next gala just uh, ask people to <laughs> raise their hand for to give a thousand of, uh, of euros. But I, I mean, does it, would it work in, in, in Europe? Yeah, uh, I don't know. Do you think it would work in, in Europe or this is very American? I, I don't know because it means you're very okay with um, showing what money you're going to give, you know, yeah. obviously. Um, so it depends because, I've, I mean, I've seen more and more um, well-attended uh, galas in, in France. Um, I've seen more and more auctions uh, during galas in France uh, that were not silent auction. Um, so, I don't know, but getting there, hopefully. <laughs> okay, another idea for, uh, for, for people to, to test. Um, okay, well, uh, thank you very much, Laure. Uh, uh, you know, one of the goals of the podcast is, is to give ideas and techniques on, on how to set up uh, international fundraising campaigns. So, I think uh, that it will become more and more usual for any European NGO to think at larger scale that its own country, uh, both in, in fundraising and uh, on its mission. So I think that's what we, uh, <laughs> we did today a lot. Uh, so I repeat, but first, it's great to see that it's possible. <laughs> this first message I want to, uh, people to, to have in mind. And, uh, and, and you gave us, of course, plenty of details on, on how to start. So thanks again. I repeat again, of course, if any organization listening uh, wants to know more about these subjects or to discuss uh, uh, with you, uh, of course, you're very happy to answer yes. to any question. Uh, people can find you on, on LinkedIn, uh, for example. Uh, so for all this, Laure, thanks a lot. And, Thank uh, you, bye -bye. David. Yes, <laughs> thanks. Bye. Congratulations, you have listened to this episode of the European Fundraising Podcast until the end. Thank you for sharing this episode with at least two of your colleagues around you or just hijack their phone and subscribe yourself. If you want to be aware of new episodes, just uh, ask me as a friend on LinkedIn or you can also subscribe to our newsletter on our website that's uh, fidelis-cc.fr slash EFA. I am David Kleshman and I will see you soon for the next episode. Congratulations, you have listened to this episode of the European Fundraising Podcast until the end. Thank you for sharing this episode with at least two of your colleagues around you or just hijack their phone and subscribe yourself. If you want to be aware of new episodes, 